All right, now, as we uh, are in the season of Lent, uh, we're looking at the Gospels. And last week we had a message where we just read some of the really strong things Jesus said in the Gospels. My initial intention was to go through all four Gospels and find the hard things that he said so you can get a picture. But as I started doing this, and i got to tell you, it was surprising to me. I just never had looked at it that way. Um, I couldn't even get through all of Matthew. The truth is, most of what Jesus said was very strong. It was like, wow. This idea today that all you have to do is just believe and you're okay is ludicrous. Jesus taught in no uncertain terms that if you don't come to him with complete commitment, selling out for God, you're deluding yourself. Christianity is not just a casual belief system. It's a lifestyle. And we took a look at that and it was pretty strong stuff. Well, uh, then I started, now, if you look at Matthew, he's that way. Luke's that way. Mark's that way. When you get to John, um, it's kind of a different twist. He puts a very human face on Jesus that at times is actually hilarious. And uh, so we're going to take a look over the next few weeks during this Lenten season at how John presented the gospel. Still some of the very strong statements. Now most of the warm and fuzzy stuff that you like to quote about Jesus comes from the gospel of John. But even that is in the midst of him being very intense with people. But a very human face about Jesus that at times is very, very funny. So let's take a look. It's this. I start this series entitled Messing with People's Heads. Because that's what Jesus did. He messed, well, you see that in John. He just messed with their heads. We'll start in chapter 1. And we'll go chapter at a time here and look at some of these things. Now, we're looking at verse 43 in uh, John, the first chapter. Now, Jesus had uh, already encountered a couple of disciples, uh, Andrew and Peter. And, uh, uh, and, and uh, he also runs into Philip, and Philip go get, goes and gets uh, Nathaniel. And these guys were, of course, becomes his, his apostles. And it says, so the first day he, he met uh, Andrew and Peter. He says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he says to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Now Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, talking about the Messiah, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David, or son of Joseph. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. They've known Jesus for a day. And from all accounts, Philip had just for a few hours. And they were so blown away about the way Jesus talked. Now, he hadn't done any miracles yet, just the way he spoke. And you have to assume that, you know, none of this was a surprise to God. God had been preparing all of this to take place for some time. And no doubt, since these guys were little boys, God had been preparing their hearts for the time where they would become these incredible men who helped launch Christianity. And uh, so it didn't take long. They met Jesus, and right away, something clicked on the inside of them. And they were very passionate about it. So Philip goes to Nathaniel and says, man, we found Jesus, this guy from Nazareth, who is the Messiah. And uh, Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And uh, Philip said, well, come and see. So when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he says to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Here is an honest guy, basically, is what he's saying. Now Nathaniel goes, how do you know me? Now, just before uh, Philip had gone to Nathaniel... Apparently, Nathaniel was off by himself under a fig tree. And who knows what was going on? I mean, I'm sure it was a good guy. He was a really good guy. 
but uh, maybe he was having these one of these conversations out loud to God and to himself. You know how you do that sometimes. And and this private thing going on or something under this fig tree. And he comes out and then he sees this guy and he says, well, let's go meet this Messiah. So anyway, he, Jesus sees, here's an honest guy. And he says, how, how do you know me? And then Jesus says this, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Well, this just totally messes with this guy's head. Wow. How did you know that? And his response was, and it's a pretty strong response, but you've got to assume, that's why I'm saying God had to be preparing these guys for a long time for this. Because immediately he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus says, you believe because I said I saw you under a fig tree? He says, you're going to see a lot of better things than that. And indeed they did. So now they go along their way. Now on the third day, they're only into this three days. There's a wedding that takes place in Cana of Galilee. And Jesus' mom was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding, which is kind of odd because they've only been together for a few days. So apparently this guy's going around inviting everybody who can breathe, come to the wedding. We're going to have a party. It's going to be awesome. So he's, everybody's invited. Jesus and these new disciples show up. And uh, it says, when the wine was gone, of course, now this guy freaks. Okay, he probably feels really embarrassed. Obviously, he's inviting everybody with a pulse to the wedding. And right away, they run out of wine. So he's, he's embarrassed by the whole thing. And, and Jesus' mom feels bad for the guy. Now, this is what the Bible calls his first miracle. I assume it means his first public miracle. Now, based on the context of this, you have to assume Jesus had done many miracles at home and in private. And they had seen this. And he obviously had told them, don't tell anybody. Because even later, Jesus did miracles for people and said, don't tell anybody. Okay, so they, they had to know. And one of the things Jesus had probably done was take water and turn it into wine, which had to be pretty cool, you know. And so they all thought, man, this is so cool what you can do. You know, don't tell anybody, you know. And, uh, you know, it's probably just, ah, they want to tell everybody, okay? But they can't tell anybody because, you know, they're not supposed to tell anybody, so. So anyway, this guy, he's all embarrassed. All these people show up. He doesn't have enough wine. Jesus' mom feels bad for the guy. And he goes to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. Come on. Come on, they have no more wine. And Jesus goes, mom, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. So you can see this. She had to know. She had to know. I said, come on, come on. So, mom, stop. And then his mom says to the servants, do whatever he says. Watch this. This is, this is so cool. This is so cool. Wait till you see this. Because Jesus' eyes got to be rolling back. Like, oh, for heaven's sakes. Now, remember, he didn't want to do this. But he doesn't. Nearby stood six stone Jar, water jars, jars, water jars, yeah. The kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Six jars, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. <laughs> There's a lot of hooch he's about to make here, okay. This... <laughs> so, so he says to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they, they fill it to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water 
that had been turned into wine. And he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And then he calls the bridegroom aside and says, Man, everybody brings out the best wine at first, and then the cheaper stuff after everybody's had too much to drink. That you save the best until now. So not only does he make wine, he makes like really good wine. And gallons. Gallons of this stuff. That's a lot of hooch. Anyway, so. Now, this is a very human face here to this whole thing. He doesn't want to do this. His mom eggs him on to do it. He finally says, okay, I'll do it. And this is his first public miracle. And I got to tell you, if I'm the son of God, and you can all be glad I'm not the son of God, but and I'm going to do my first miracle to the world, I'm, I'm going to do some ho-chi-mama miracle. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to, you know, raise the dead or turn a chicken into a frog or something. You know, I'm going to do something cool. Not just help out some wedding where the supplies run low. But yet, this is the very first miracle Jesus does perfectly and publicly. And everybody goes, wow, that is amazing. I'm sure Mary's in there going like, <laughs> wait till you see what else he can do. You know. So, so now he goes out and he starts doing all these other miracles. And everybody's like, wow, who is this guy? Because they really messed with him because they had known him. It wasn't like he was new to town. He's 30 years old by now. And all of a sudden, he starts doing all this, messing with their heads, like, wow. Then it says that a Pharisee, this is the next chapter, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus, who's a member of the Jewish ruling council, he comes to Jesus at night, probably because he doesn't want to be seen with him during the day. You know, they didn't quite know about him. And he says to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher that has come from God. Nobody can do what you're doing unless God is with him. And so he's coming, he wants to know more. And then Jesus messes with his head and he says listen no one can come see the kingdom of god unless they're born again now you have to remember we read these things from two thousand years of christian experience we understand we get a kind of a clue what he's talking about but they didn't know what he's talking about born again what so you know jesus what he's talking about is the fact that all human beings all y'all all y'all and all y'all out there all of us are born into the world in sin, the Bible says. We're born spiritually dead. Now, we are made in the image of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but yet one. Three but one. We are like God, designed this way. There are three distinct parts of every human being. Body, soul, spirit. The body, the soul, our intellect, okay, and our spirit. We all have a body. Most of us have an intellect. And, and we all have a spirit. So the other two are alive, but our spirit, when we're born, we're born stillborn, spiritually born. And everybody knows this. Everybody senses this all over the world. I don't care what your philosophy, what your background is. Everybody, every human being on earth knows something is wrong. Something is wrong. What is this? That's why people come up and they create different religions around the world. And they're trying to fix this problem. And other people think, well, you know, I'll fix it. I'll just go out and get drunk or do drugs or party. Or maybe if I get a lot of money, if I just get a new stuff, if I can just get a new car, new house, new wife, something that can fix this thing. Because something's wrong. Everybody senses this. It's because we are born stillborn. The miracle of Christianity is because of the miracle of what Jesus did on the cross. Is that when you come to Christ and he forgives you of your sins, he breathes life into that part of you that has never had life in it. And suddenly, whoa, 
And this is where people talk about being born again. This is where people say, I've seen the light. I mean, this is where this is a dramatic thing that happens. Now, for some of us, it's really dramatic. For others, not so much so. Some of us, uh, we had this experience as young children, you know. But nonetheless, it is transforming. It is life changing. True Christianity isn't just a bunch of ideas and beliefs. This is life changing stuff where you are born again and wow. Wow. This is cool. Okay? This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. This is why this is the truth. So anyway, he's talking to Nicodemus, and he doesn't really make it clear. He just says, you know, you need to be born again. Well, Nicodemus has no idea what he's talking about. He says, how can someone be born when he's old? Surely you cannot enter a second time into your mother's womb and be born. Ew. That's a horrible image in your head. And Jesus said, listen, I'm telling you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of the water. Talking about a physical birth and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised, he says, at my saying that you must be born again. Talking about what I just explained to you, which he goes on to explain. He says the wind blows wherever it pleases. He says you can't even track this. You know, it's not, not like it makes sense. Some people get this, some people don't. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus says, how, how can this be? I mean, it's like... And, and of course, Jesus goes on and keeps talking to him. Uh, because what really what happens, in the beginning, it seems like whenever Jesus would encounter someone, he would say stuff to them that just confused them. And then it was almost... Jesus did this intentionally. And then if people pushed past that... And started really showing a real heart interest. Then he would open up and make it more clear to them. Okay, so this is a pretty strong pattern. Uh, But messing with their heads nonetheless. Then we have John the fourth chapter, next chapter. Now I preached a whole sermon on this a few months ago. So we won't go through the whole thing again. But this is where Jesus meets this woman at the well. Now this is a lady who has a very checkered past. Made a lot of mistakes. Okay, and remember when we talked... uh, in the last sermon, I was reading some of the hard things Jesus said. Twice, he goes on this whole thing about if you divorce someone and marry again, you're committing adultery. It's like, whoa, that's a lot of people. That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's heavy-duty stuff. That's the truth. But now we see the grace side, the forgiveness side. Because this lady has not only been married once, twice, three times, five times. I mean, seriously, if you've done this five times and failed, move on. <laughs> Do something else. Five times she's had husbands and failed, and now she's living with the sixth guy. Nobody talks to her. Even even in that culture, she was a mess. So Jesus starts talking to her. She says, wow, why are you even talking to me? And they start talking about um, the well, the water. He said, would you give me something to drink? And she's talking to him. And Jesus says this. He says, you know, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, remember, this was very basic living standards back then. It was a big deal every day just to get enough bread to eat and enough water to drink. So he starts talking about drinking water that you'll never get thirsty again. She says, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back to this stupid well to draw water out of all here. And then Jesus says, okay, but uh, verse 16, go... Go and call your husband first and come back. Well, of course, he just starts messing with her head. Because he knows. 
And she goes, uh, I, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right when you say you don't have a husband. Truth is, you've had five husbands and the man you have now, you haven't even bothered to marry this guy. What you've just said is quite true. Well, she's like, wow, how can you possibly know this? And that's when he starts revealing himself to her. And he, she believes in him. She experiences his forgiveness and grace. And he says, now start doing life right. See, that's why. It's not the end of the world when you mess up and do things wrong. Okay? There's forgiveness and grace. But it doesn't mean there isn't right and wrong. The right and wrong still stands. Don't do these things. But he comes to him. She forgives them. And he connects with her when no one else will connect with her. Shows his grace. Changes her life. And tells her, go and don't sin anymore. Stop doing what you're doing. Start living life right. Okay, so that was kind of an interesting, again, we see this very human interaction with Jesus that we don't see so much in the other Gospels. It's John who really gets into this. Now chapter 5. Now this is hilarious. Alright, now this is where we get a picture of Jesus just messing with people's heads on purpose. Now sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, let me tell you why. There was this pool that, you know, we don't know if it really happened or not. Certainly, they believed it. The Bible doesn't really say. But the story was that without the wind or anything blowing, all of a sudden, the water would just start to ripple. Because they felt, they believed it was an angel stirring the water. And the story was, whoever would get into the pool first would instantly be healed of whatever sickness they had. It would be a miracle. Wow. Well, clearly, the word gets out, every sick person for who knows how far is hanging by the pool. Because they're waiting for the water to do its And then the first one in the pool gets a miracle. And everybody else, they're sorry out of luck. All right? Now, Jesus knows this. He's already been doing all kinds of miracles. He's healing people all the time. If he wanted to, he could walk around and heal all these people. All right? Well, his interest really isn't healing people at this point. What his interest is, is he sees the Pharisees standing over there. And he wants to mess with their heads. Now, Jesus was always at war with the Pharisees. Why? Because they were a bunch of pinheaded religious people who made up rules that the Bible didn't even talk about. Just like it isn't hard enough to serve God, they got to make it more miserable. And they would take the law of Moses, which at face value, that's miserable enough. They added to it. And they made all kinds of... It kind of reminds me of when I first became a Christian. You know, some of you guys older my age and older, like Pastor Lathan, who's like 300 years old. <laughs> uh, we, a lot of you will remember, we grew up in church, evangelical churches that were very legalistic. Everything was a sin. They made things that were a sin. They were there. They worked over hard to try and send as many people to hell as they possibly could. You know, if you're a guy and your hair was too long, you went to hell. If you're a woman and your skirt wasn't long enough, you went to hell. If you watched TV, you went to hell. If you went dancing, that really sent you to hell. And then they made a rule that you couldn't even go roller skating because roller skating was too much like dancing. So that would send you to hell. They had rules about that. If you played cards, that'd send you to hell. You remember all this stuff? Hey, man, they were, they were, everything they could find would send you to hell. Everywhere you turned around, you'd go to hell. And they were so crazy about all this stuff, this religious nonsense. We grew up that when we first became Christians, when I first became a Christian, I was a hippie. 
Okay? And that's when I had hair. And, uh, <laughs> and, and we were pot smoking, pill popping, rock and rolling, disgusting hippies. Peace, man, peace. All right, we were peace because we were so stoned. That's all we could think of. Peace, man, just peace. Get along. Well, I too, like most people in the world, I argue everybody in the world senses something's not right. And I could tell something is not right here. And I, there wasn't enough drugs I could smoke or pills I could pop that would fix this. And when I heard the message that Jesus Christ could fix this, I responded to it right away. I asked Jesus Christ into my life. He breathed his life into me. And whoa, I was born again. I'd seen the light, whatever phrase you want. And a lot of us hippies were getting saved. And we all got came to Jesus. And it was so cool. And we wanted to start going to church. Well, the problem was we still look like hippies. We walk into these church and hair is everywhere. We didn't have shoes or socks on. You know, peace, man. You know, and t-shirts and jeans with holes in it. <laughs> you know, bell bottoms that were like five feet wide. <laughs> we're kind of like free street cleaners. Everywhere we walk, we just kind of clean. <laughs> you remember these things, you know? And... uh you know, because people say they have bell bottoms today. You don't have bell bottoms. We had bell bottoms, man. It's like, whoa! You know, you could, you could have a cat and a dog in there. You know, you couldn't see them. Just... So we'd come to church and we'd sit on the front row and we're just like, ah. Because we wanted this cool Jesus that we just experienced. Wow, these religious pinheads just gave us nothing but grief. You can you hippies, you got long hair and your filthy jeans and this and this. Whoa, you know. We got away from those people and we found a church that still loved us despite of how we looked. And that's how we started our walk in Christianity. Well, the same problem was back in Jesus' day. You had these religious pinheads that made rules about all kinds of stuff. And it just ticked Jesus off. And he would do stuff just to mess with their heads. Now, one of the rules that these pinheads had come up with was, you know, they were real crazy about the Sabbath. Sabbath was supposed to be a day of rest. It was supposed to be a good thing for people, a nice thing. You get to rest, you get to chill out, lay back, don't work. Well, they made it a, a burden because they made people paranoid about what you could do or couldn't do. They had a, some count said they had to count how many steps they took in a day because if you took too many steps, you were in sin. And what you could do, and you know, can I go potty? I don't know what to do. Everybody's all freaked out about what they can do. And one of the rules they had is because they all had mats that they laid on when they slept is you could not carry your mat on the Sabbath. That was a sin. That'll send you to hell. All right. So Jesus shows up. He sneaks in. He sees all these sick people and he sees the Pharisees. And he wants to mess with their heads. So he looks around for a guy with a mat. <laughs> Who's got a mat? Well, then he sees this guy. Okay. Okay. Now you got the context. All right. So there's, here's a guy, verse 5, who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been this way for conditions for a long time, and of course he sees that he has a mat, he says to the guy, Psst. you want to get better? <laughs> now, now remember, he's not preaching to them. They don't even know he's Jesus. He sneaks in. He's not proclaiming the gospel. He's not doing anything. He's just there to mess with these Pharisees' heads. He finds the guy with a mat and goes, 
<laughs> hey, you want to get better? And the guy says, well, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water's stirred. And, and, and before I can go, someone else goes down ahead of me. And then Jesus says, okay, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now remember, that's against the rules. Well, suddenly, the miracle power of God hits this guy. All of a sudden, he's totally healed. After 30-some years of his life, unable to move, he gets up and he can walk. Whoa! And, and he does what the guy said. He picks up his mat and he starts walking. Well, then Jesus goes hides in the crowd. And he's kind of like... <laughs> okay. So the Pharisees turn around and, oh my gosh, they see someone... Carrying a mat. You filthy mat carrier, you. So they start yelling at this guy. Now, at once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked. And the day he did this was the Sabbath. So the Jewish leaders, these pinheads, they didn't care that a miracle had transpired. They knew this guy had been there for 37 years. Instead of going, wow, how cool that God did something in your life. They were more freaked out because he was carrying a mat. And they yelled at him. The Jewish leader said, it is the Sabbath. The law forbids you carry your mat. Who told you you could carry your mat? And the guy replies, well, the man who made me well said, pick up your mat and walk. And I said, who told you that? And of course, Jesus is hiding in the crowd. <laughs> and they're just all. Who's your filthy mat-carrying person? Who told this man to carry a mat? Can you imagine this? So Jesus does all this just to mess with these people's heads. The man who was healed had no idea who it was in verse 13 because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple. And then he said, see, you're well again. Stop sinning. That was always the message. No matter what condition you're in, Jesus will take you. He will forgive you. He will clean you up. He will heal you. But he says, stop. Do life right. Anyway, okay, we'll end here. We'll pick it up again next week. Chapters, the next chapter. And it gets even funnier. Some of the stuff is a scream. I mean, and, and John is the one who captures all this and lets you see how Jesus went around messing with their heads. And uh, it's really great fun. Now, here's the question. Why did Jesus do this? Why was he constantly? People would come to him. He would say stuff. They had no idea what he was talking about. He intentionally did things to mess with their heads. This is one of them. There's even funnier ones coming up. Even the time he walked on the water, which we'll see next week, all of that was just a mess with their heads. Okay? Uh, and, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, why would he do that? He could have easily just made things crystal clear for people. Crystal clear. And just in the plainest of terms, explain to them as I just did to you about some of these things. But he didn't do it. Why didn't he? Because for two reasons. First of all, Jesus knew that real faith does not begin in your head. It begins in your heart. When people would come to Jesus with their heads, he basically just messed with their heads. And they didn't get it. And when he'd, even a lot of times people who were coming with their hearts, initially he'd mess with their heads, and then if they stuck with it, then he'd start talking to their hearts. Because he knew it was here. You don't do this, this 
way. You know, a lot of times people come to me and say, Pastor, what can I say to my husband? What can I say to my wife? What can I say to my, my friend? What can I say to my parents? What can I say to my brother or sister so, so they can, I can convince them to turn their lives to God? Tell me, what, what can I say? And the answer is always the same. Nothing. There's nothing you can say. You will never convince anybody at this level of true Christianity. True Christianity makes no sense to people who live here all the time. But when people start coming this way, that changes everything. What you need to do is to pray for people that they'll start coming to God this way. Because Jesus secondly said this, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. Unless God pulls at your heart in the first place. You'll never get this. You'll never be born again. You'll never have this transformation. You'll never start experiencing this incredible thing that we've been talking about. And that we celebrate all the time here. Will never become a reality to you. Until you come this way first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your forgiveness. Your mercy and your grace in our lives. Thank you that you cared so much for us that you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that we could experience forgiveness of sins. But God, help help us during this time of Lent to examine our hearts, to make sure that we're following you from our hearts. And help us, Lord, not to get all caught up with trying to explain everything to people's heads. That's not what you've called us to do. You've called us to come to speak to people's hearts. And we pray that you would continue to draw people Uh, Even just to our church. We're surrounded by tens of thousands of people, Jesus, that are sensing there's something not quite right. They're trying everything they can to fix it, but they can't fix it. We pray, Lord, that you would, throughout our entire communities, start to draw people by their hearts. Let them know. Give them a hunger in righteousness. Father, start to draw them to you. So that when we start sharing the good news of Jesus, that they would be transformed, that they would begin to experience this wonderful thing that we call faith. Amen.